This is the Green Machine Podcast Manager Series with Martin O'Neill Part 2. So David, Martin and myself, Nick, here to bring you 2016. So lads, probably, in my opinion anyway, the best year in Irish football for a long, long time. I mean, between between Euro 2016, between some of the results we got in between, of course, the really good start to the, the World Cup t- 2018 qualifying campaign and and even more importantly, the ongoing war between Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane and, and Ronald Koeman, just to, just to bring a bit of war into it, David, because we know you love a bit of war. I love a bit of raw, uh, raw, a bit of war. Jesus, <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong podcast, uh, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the only one you do. Didn't we say that um, Pornhub sponsored? Uh, Jesus, <laughs> I was actually thinking more wrestling. Uh, WWF Raw. Ah, right, right. Our other, our other sponsors, see, of course. Tone, Nick, you know what I mean. We haven't even got out of the blocks here. Just lower the tone already. You see, folks. See, this is what I have to deal with every week. Um, yeah, this this was a good year. Um, this was the peak of the Martin O'Neill um, and Roy Keane, the the bad cop and bad bad cop. Hmm. Uh, this is the peak. It didn't last very long. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> I don't know how many times he said spoiler alert last week. Actually, probably should do a bet in it this week. Um, there's gonna be yeah. there's gonna be some poor fucker, one of the consistent listeners who who actually hasn't a clue, who who hasn't even googled anything, and he he's just crying in the corner at home listening to this, saying, oh, "They keep giving everything away." Yeah, <laughs> probably is. We're, we we apologise for that. Um, it's like, oh, maybe. Do, oh no. Um, yeah, it's this. This is a good year. Uh, decent championships ahead. Decent, you know, fairly fairly decent. Um, and obviously some good results along the way and, and afterwards. But yeah, this is the peak. This is the absolute peak. I wouldn't even say it's more, more a spike. This is the spike of the mountain O'Neill era because it's only one way after this. And that is one sharp decline. But uh, this is, yeah, definitely one of the best years for a very, very long time. Yeah, um, we haven't seen anything really since it's since or since it's since. <laughs> since it's since. Uh, it's like, uh, catching, is it? Yeah, yeah, good good start by me, isn't it? Good start by me. So when, anyone who hasn't listened to the podcast before, shame on you. But yeah, if first of all, stop it now. We will stop Don't it now. Yeah. Little, and go back and, to the others. Go back to the other seventy odd odd episodes. But but David, to be fair to David, we don't give David enough credit, do we, Martin? He he no. he he scans the archives um beyond the mainstream archives and, and comes up with all this unbelievable information uh, in our different manager Monday series. Um finding it hard to read your handwriting here, David. Um and he should have uh, been a doctor. <laughs> So just to go through, I suppose, some of the, the key facts at the start of the year. So we've just qualified for, for Euro 2016. Again, if you haven't watched or listened to Martin O'Neill part one, go back and listen to it. Um, as you know, we do qualify for Euro 2016. So we begin the year in 31st in the world. And we leapt, what was it, about 36 places, lads, since since Martin O'Neill took over from Giovanni Trapattoni. Mm-hmm. Something like that, where we 67, yep. 68. We were, yeah. Yes, yes. So, I mean, no, no, me, Pete. I know people have their, their different views on the, the rankings, but it does show that a string of results did happen. And on the 1st of January, so New Year's Day 2016, so Martin O'Neill, very, very coy on his position as Irish manager. And just to quote Martin O'Neill, I'm very open minded about it all in regards to staying on after Euro 2016. So, as we know, 
in the first episode of the, the Martin O'Neill series, there was interest from Leicester, who who made the, the very wise decision to appoint Claudio Ranieri. Um, so one of the ongoing issues and one of the ongoing themes of the Martin O'Neill era was the, was the amount of jobs that he was linked with. I think he was linked with the Southampton job at one stage, wasn't he? He was linked with, linked with a few different jobs. Yeah. Crystal Palace, it wasn't even talks to Crystal Palace before he took the Ireland job. So... It was one of those teams, and and um, there was a non-committal team even leading up to Euro 2016, and I suppose something that that we hadn't seen from previous Irish managers. So it was right. it was it was interesting. It was interesting that he had that mindset, um, it considering was fr- considering that he wouldn't budge a couple of years later. Yeah, it, well, yeah, it wouldn't budge. He wouldn't budge when uh, it suited him not to budge quite frankly, when he should have budged, but we'll get onto that in the next episode. Um, this always frustrated me with Martin. A lot of stuff frustrates me with this particular era. This is one of them. Uh, this guy is always banging on about, um, you know, I'm committed to the job, but I won't sign a contract. You know, I want to be here, but I don't really want to talk about it. You know, and then you're, you're hearing, you know, that you're hearing that on one hand. And the other hand, you're hearing like, yeah, but I miss the day-to-day of club football. And then you have the other fella, Roy Keane, going on about, yeah, I really want to go back into management as soon as, soon as possible. So you, you already, like, for me, I've sort of got the opinion here, like he's three years into, well, two and a half years into the job, um, where he's sort of like, here I am, I'm here for you, I've rescued you from the mire, from the muck of avarice, that was the, tra- that was the end of the Trapatoni era, bow before me basically and i don't really want to be here but the money's good and i'll be here anyway. that's sort of the impression i always got of martin o'neill um here and when you question him about certain decisions you know he's, we all know martin O'Neill is a very sensitive cat he does not like being challenged he does not like being questioned by those who he believes are beneath him and the same with roy Keane, uh which is probably a lot an awful lot of people and this this is this is just a recurring theme and we're going to talk about it the contract situation uh, we'll yeah. talk about it in this episode and episodes beyond that but yeah just yeah. very 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 frustrating very disrespectful i find towards the job yeah many occasions as well and even before we qualify for euro 2016 so the months that led up to to the euros there was there was a few things that i suppose came into the minds of martin o'neill and came into the minds of fans so of course he was going to make the squad and more importantly to fans was the ticketing situation so just a, a little figure here. So UEFA received 3.5 million applications for the 800,000 tickets that were available for Euro 2016. And Ireland had the, the fourth highest applicants, um, you know, out of the, the 24 teams or so. Martin, you were one of those applicants and one of those successful applicants. So just talk us through the, I suppose, the 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 process itself and, and how you managed to get sorted with tickets. It was a yeah. Just thinking back to it, it was a lot better than uh, Euro 2012. That was a bit of a debacle, to be honest. But I think, to be fair, that's the one that you know it was all very new again to Ireland fans travelling. Whereas we had that experience going to 2016, so you knew how it worked with uh, UEFA and the FAI. Obviously, were able to um, give out kind of access codes to kind of prioritise uh, season ticket holders and also fans who they had a record of of uh, traveling to games so that was one way that they ensured that you could obviously get get, get and apply for tickets um i remember them being really expensive as they are i mean i've just been to euro 2020 
all right it was in 2021 but this was a time when the games the matches were getting expensive um you know that's that's one thing UEFA you know they're all about the fans apparently but the the prices of them is quite ridiculous um but yeah yes lucky to get an apply for them um all, all of for all of the people I knew in the supporters club who wanted to get uh, tickets were successful with them and it was a case of sorting each other out then you know as as island fans do um i think for this one as well this campaign is quite an attractive uh trip for a lot of people a lot of young people i remember going to euro uh 2016 um they you know they, a lot of people were camping you know camper vans it was a little bit like euro 88 really it was kind of people had heard about stuttgart years ago and and all that kind of stuff and they kind of wanted to experience a bit of that traveling around france and i was just amazed at the, the amount of people who actually traveled to france without any ticket and they actually weren't bothered to have a ticket at all and i think i, I remember leaving euro 2016 thinking this is the last time they'll be able to do a tournament like this because france is the only country i think that had the infrastructure to be able to cope with people camping and the, the actual deluge of people there who actually went to the tournament and they actually had no interest in actually going to the football it was just to be there in the fan zones and in the squares well, and things like that was well, well speaking of that and there maybe i'm maybe i'm being a little bit harsh here because then we win the we won the, um, you know, kind of fans of the tournament award. But against Georgia, in one of the key games of, of the qualifiers that kind of turned the tide a little bit, and one that doesn't get mentioned much, a lot of people talk about the Germany match, and understandably so. But the Georgia game, which was huge, the 1-0 win, I think there was only 30,000 fans at the Aviva, or at Lansdowne Road. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we have, the fourth highest amount of applicants for the games and the Sweden match was the second most sought after fixture in the group stage yeah. for, for ticket application. So what well, what are your thoughts on that, lads? I mean, for me, because because I, I was coming at it from an angle, right? I'd actually just yeah. moved out and I financially I couldn't go. And on top of that, I work commitments and different things. So it didn't didn't seem me to go. And I was and I was so, so jealous that I couldn't go. And I've been to I think apart from the Germany game. And I think apart from the Bosnia game, um, I, I was at every single home match. And I remember thinking, Jesus, there, there's lads who probably weren't at one of those games and, and they're getting to go. Now, that was more of a personal thing. But 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 for me, looking at that, I was like, Jesus, it's convenient now, isn't it? It's always been an issue with the Irish fans. And, you know, anyone who says it isn't is lying or is delusional or just doesn't know. It's always been an issue, Nick. Um, you always see it on lanceandrow.ie. Um, you know, the Sunshine fans and all that. I mean, you have the same people now that, you know, Kenny out, oh, we're shit, we're always shit, we can't play football, we're and, crap, lads. And, and, can, I, and can, I just, can I just say, David, as well, like, there's bandwagoners who don't have a clue and don't follow the team, and then they hop yeah. on board and they're very positive. And, and, and that's fine, that's, and then, that's fine, I have no issue with that, but it's the, it's the ones who are like, we're shit, we're shit, we're shit. Yeah. And then all See, of a sudden, all of a sudden, they're 20 cans deep in their camper van in, yeah. in Paris. Exactly. And, and we're, we're, like we we're fans we're proper supporters here right and no we're not the only uh, proper supporters but and how proper supporters are they support the team that will be we'll be critical of the side we'll be critical of selections but we'll support the team i'll still go I'll, I'll go to any game i haven't gone for two years because it was a pandemic but and i couldn't go to the last game because of costs but now things are starting up again i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to every game i don't care how bad we are I've heard I've heard some outrageous stuff about this. I've heard friends, uh, no one who's been on this podcast, by the way. Um, actually, Kenny, he's another proper Ireland supporter as well, and his brother Carl. And Kenny got tickets for uh, or Ken, sorry, he likes to be called. Yeah, now. he 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 now identifies as Ken, yeah. I believe. 
and, yeah, and and he heard, uh, and so he got tickets, and he actually went to every single game. Him, his father, and his brother, and, and I got. I went to the Italy game, which we talk about later on. But he went around on a broken leg, by the way, with one leg. He went all around France. But anyway, and I remember we were trying to get a friend of ours. He's probably going to listen to this podcast, and uh, but anyway, and we were trying to say to him, so "Look, I'm coming over for the games, you know, with a great cost and expense, and." Why don't you come with us? Get a ticket. There's loads of there's loads of spare tickets, unfortunately, around us because we're not doing too good at the moment. This is during the 2020 campaign. Uh, no, I don't want to go see that. I was like, what do you mean? It's Ireland. Uh, no, I, I don't feel that they're worth my money. I don't feel like if I go there that, you know, I'm getting my money's worth and watching a game of football. I'm like, it's not about that. Okay. It sh- oh, sorry. It shouldn't be about that. It's your country. You know, you're supposed to love the boys in green. You know, it's for like a marriage, for better or for worse, you're supposed to get behind them. And people don't. I used to go to games uh, in the Jordan Stan era and the Trapatone era and some of the Brian Keir era. I'd be leaving my job to go to a matchup in Croker. Um, or I'd, I'd take my days off to actually get extra work to work at the Lansdowne Road Stadium on the East End and the West End ticket shops, which were madness. And people were going up to me going, why you, why you support that shy, David? Oh, crap. Come on, the road. I'm like, it's not about that. And those very very same people when we qualified for Euro 2020, uh, sorry, Euro 2012, were had their fucking flags out. They had their yeah. pass paid green wine. It's very same people. Remember, I said it. And we're like, oh, no, no, no. You know, we're entitled to this. And, and yes, you are. But th- there's always this situation, Nick. I mean, you see, 1987, um, Ireland beating uh, Brazil 1 0 in Lansdown Road with a fabulous Ireland team, better than the Brazil side, uh, man for man. A, much, a stronger setup and winning one nil and there's probably about 17,000 people in a what was probably I think 40,000 capacity stadium so a lot of empty seats and then a couple of years later that was it you couldn't get a game for love no money because we were one of the top teams in the world it, it's always it's been a thing not with all Ireland fans but there is a groundswell of and the Oleo layers and as I said the bandwagoning like that's yeah if it's positive bandwagoning bandwagoning so if it's someone who maybe has no interest in football or maybe yeah. hasn't really given the Irish team a shot or whatever and and they're they're all of a sudden going to matches like you have to start somewhere don't you but it's as i said it's more those the the naysayers the ones who are you know i suppose the, the kenny out the kenny now. outers at the yeah. moment who aren't spending and the second that we matches. start showing a bit of form they'll yeah. all be going to the matches i remember, going, yeah. I remember yeah. going to france on my own i went to paris on my own i couldn't get any of the lads to come with me right i didn't know kenny at the time kenny McCoy, i didn't know him that well um, I don't think at the time anyway, but the other, I couldn't get them go to the matches with me, Nick. Even before we lost the home game 1-0, and there were people coming up to me, ah, oh, you're not going to go to Paris, are you sure? It's a waste of money. I'm like, yeah, of course I'm going to go to Paris. Why wouldn't I? I want to support my country. I want to support my team. You know, like, of course I'm going to fucking go. I may not live in the country anymore, but I still love the boys in green. I love the Irish football team. You know, I'm not alone, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to say, oh, look at me, I'm a super fan, whatever. You know, there's so many people listening to this podcast, follow yeah. the page, and they're of the very same milk, and they probably live for economical reasons in different parts of the world, but they'll still support the boys in green and get behind them. You know, yeah. My my point on this, I think, you know, our hardcore support who go home and away is actually not a massive number, um, mm. and I think if you actually look back at Cynthia Beaver, um, August 2010. Our first game. I think we've only sold out the Aviva maybe two or three occasions, if that. We, we don't yeah. have a fantastic home support. It, you, you can always pick up tickets on match day for any game. Um, and, you know, and when the team, big teams come to 
to, to the Aviva. Um, they, you know, like we've, we probably will sell out now for the Portugal game, but that's probably the factor of, you know, Ronaldo, Fernandes, you know, seeing a decent team playing Ireland. Um, that, that's just the truth of it. Um, you know, even looking, you know, I, I, obviously I know I was uh, mentioning Riss London and stuff, but, you know, we've looked at kind of the stats over the years of attendances at away games as a supporters club. And, you know, quite often we, we might like have 80. I remember there's one game, the figure stands out. I think it was Irish, but like the attendance of Irish fans, maybe 860. And we had 86. We had 10% of the support was from the Riss London club. So we know the numbers. We could always kind of judge it on the on, on that, and even like looking at what's going to happen now in Azerbaijan in a few weeks' time. I know what we've we've applied for already um, as a as a sports club. It's a bit of a myth. The, um, the 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 great support. I mean, it is good support, but the numbers are really only there when these big games come around. So like everyone wanted yeah. to go. When we qualified for the Euros, there was going to be massive demand for it. And, you know, they, you're not going to satisfy all the people who wanted to go. And affordability as well. I fully appreciate that. But it wasn't a case of a lot of young people went because it was a trip. And I thought, you know, and, and I, I, I wouldn't knock them for that because it made a brilliant atmosphere uh, over there. And it was very, very good. But, um, yeah, they're, they're not the footballing people. They would barely take a bit of notice. Wouldn't have a clue about half the players. I've been on a loads of island trips where you're talking to people when, or you're even in the stand and they don't even know half the players. Yeah. That, that's just a fact of it. They don't. And um, but they they kind of get behind them all, you know. I've been at games where they've I think we've covered one of the games Slovakia away uh, with the two two game Stephen Island. People yeah. were leaving at, people were leaving at half time because they weren't serving alcohol drink uh, drink drinks in there. It was non alcohol beer, so people just like, left the ground at half time. And also for some of the other delights, <laughs> but <laughs> apparently, um, but yeah, that, that's just the case of it. A lot of people like, just go on these as trips. That's it. The football's a distraction. And they've actually got no interest in the football and don't even know what's going on. Yeah, so certainly a, a conversation for another day. Anyway, lads, yeah. I, think, I think it's an interesting yeah, yeah, point. Sorry, so, yeah. No, 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 it's okay. No, I just, I just mean, you know, it's, there's, there's so much in it, isn't there? But, uh, but just kind of leading on to the, I suppose, the first fixture of 2016 against Switzerland. And as I said, the narrative around then was kind of who was going to be in the squad and who's kind of staking a claim in the squad. And just a, a, a lovely, a lovely, nice quote Um you know, a very classy quote here from Martin O'Neill because we do love a quote on on the manager series. So on the eleventh, or sorry, on the um, yeah. So so prior, so prior to the the Swiss match, so um, Martin O'Neill was asked how he felt about having wags, so the the wives of the the Irish team around the team hotel in France, and he said the uglier ones would not be welcomed. <laughs> so just to just to throw that in, so nice classy and guy. Out from Martin O'Neill. So, yeah, so, so as I said, like, it was it was kind of who's going to be in the squad and who's not. And one player that kind of came to mind was Damien Delaney playing every weekend or playing every week for Crystal Palace in the Premier League. And um, I suppose the, the whole narrative was that we had so many centre-halves. So another call from Martin O'Neill. I've got six centre-halves. There are people who've done brilliantly for me and helped me qualify and a number of younger lads like Shane Duffy, who I feel has international football ahead of him. So, you know, he was he was one of those players who was maybe disputed to be um, hard done by. And then and the kind of irony of it was the fact that uh, that Damien Delaney was 35 and Martin O'Neill was kind of saying, well, he's a little bit too old. And I think I think he was a couple of years younger than he actually made him out to be. And yeah, so the irony of it was, yeah, so Shea Given was 39, John O'Shea was 34. Robbie Keane was coming up for 36. So, you know, it's, it's again, um, the bit of hypocrisy 
coming in there. But what I did like about the build up, lads, of the kind of squad and and the the um, the rumors around who was going to be in the squad, he he wasn't closed off to players who didn't play in the qualification campaign because Alan George, of course, now sadly missing out on the Euros because of a really badly broken leg that 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 was a turning point in his career that sadly saw it spiral. But I mean, Alan George was in unbelievable form for Brentford, wasn't he at the time? Um, Johnny Hayes was in great form for Aberdeen. Jack Byrne was playing for Cambor in, in the, the Arrested Division. So, I mean, he wasn't close to any of these players and they all kind of featured in squads in, in the build-up. Um, and the Swiss match, I think George and Hayes, I was actually at that game. It was actually, uh, it was Good Friday and they were serving beer in the, they were serving drinks in the, at Lansdowne Road, so I remember we got absolutely bamboozled. But but it was it was this whole openness to actually introducing a few newer lads. Harry Arter, as well, was having a great season in the Premier League for for Bournemouth, or in the I think they were in the Championship at that stage for Bournemouth, and he came in for the last couple of friendlies and was subsequently injured. So we were at a stage, lads, where we saw with Giovanni Trapattoni, with the exception of James McLean prior to Euro 2012. That he was kind of a late bolter, but we possibly, if it wasn't for injury, we probably would have had Alan George, we probably would have had Harry Arter, and possibly Jack Byrne had he had he kind of kept a bit of momentum going in the squad. So it was it was good to see that openness. And of course, Ireland getting a one 0 win over Switzerland, Kieran Clark scoring, which um which started the year off with a win and then followed by a two two draw with Slovakia. So Shane Long and James McLean scoring goals, but Miroslav Stuck and a Paul McShane own goal seeing the Slovakians come back. And of course, Rob Elliott, another player who probably would have gone to the Euros ahead of Shea Given, injured in that game after a really bad knee injury. And he played his first match since that game only a few weeks ago. Wow. I didn't know yeah. that. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, yeah so the, the Switzerland game, was the uh, that was the 100-year anniversary for um, the East Horizon. So that's where we famously had the... the, the the hundred year little logo that we put on the shirts in our wisdom, which we got a fine for, if you remember, um, <laughs> because the most iconic shirt, I have got one of them actually. So I'm quite happy with that in the collection, but uh, yeah, um, that, that's a, just an iconic little thing that people might remember listening, um, that it was all about. Um, and also the match program had, um, it was quite nice as well. The, 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 the front cover was quite decent as well. We mentioned stuff about like the, some of the people who were involved in the, the Easter Rising and stuff who also went on and played football for Ireland and stuff. So it was an interesting one. What about the build-up lads in terms of some of the, the players that were kind of in, in and around the squad that were kind of making late bolts? So in my, I mentioned Harry Arter. I mentioned Rob Elliott. mentioned Alan George, Johnny Hayes, lads like that, Jack Byrne. It was unfortunate that that so many of them, as I said, the late bolters who didn't necessarily feature in the qualifiers got injured. Um, Alan George, of course, ruled out uh, just about two weeks after that Slovakia match. But, but Jack Byrne, he, you know, I know he was in the Eredivisie, but um, was, I found Martin O'Neill's comments quite, uh, and Jack Byrne's comments quite interesting, where uh, Jack basically claims that he's good as anyone in the senior squad. Um, and then he was going on a. Martin O'Neill then says, if he backs it up with ability, great. If it turns out he's craft, that's his problem. If he's cocky, great, well done. But he might have a bit of that knocked out of him by the senior lad. That's a that's an insight, really, there, isn't it, into the uh, the world of Martin O'Neill's Ireland, isn't it? Well, don't, don't show me any of your ability or don't don't be confident. confidence. 
Mm. It's a bit like a Christian Brothers school, isn't it? Actually, it's more more like a fucking Christian Brothers than a, than an Ireland. And we're gonna have more of that, by the way. That that is another thing that we're gonna have in this episode as well. I just just found it very interesting. Yeah, what I found interesting around this time as well is this is in. Let me bring you down to Waterford here because Ireland played Italy uh, in an under twenty one game. Jack Byrne played, um, and also Daryl Lenehan, Callum O'Dowd played as well. We were managed by that time by everyone's favourite Ireland manager. Um, and also, the king, it's a, the king, the king kinger. Um, but it's also worth noting that it was a debut. Here's a quiz question for you: a debut of a of a player for Italy that oh. night under 21s. And he made history. Yep, Donnarumma made his debut for Italy under 21s at the age of 17, and we've never heard of him since. He's done nothing. No, so useless, um, useless goal. Yeah. But yeah, I just remember seeing him that night. I was over, obviously, I was over for the double header uh, senior games, and I went down to Waterford to see the under 21s as well. And yeah, I just I was so impressed with him. He's just absolutely huge. And I just thought, wow. Um, so yeah, it's um, it, it was a good. It was actually a really good game. If I and, the next, remember. Th- and the next time you probably saw him, Martin, was the saw him live. It was the Euro 2016 or the Euro 20? Jeez, what year? Yeah, was final. 20, yeah, yeah. The Euro 2020 plus one final. Yeah. Probably was, yeah. 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 And speaking of goalkeepers, so Shea Given in the April, so just um, a couple of weeks after the Slovakia match, so starting his first Premier League game for Stoke in over a year. So two days off his 40th birthday and had a great performance there, conceded four goals. (laughs) (laughs) And then then would subsequently take David Ford and Rob Elliott's place because, I mean, Elliott was playing every week for Newcastle, wasn't he? So he he probably would have gone his third choice, even ahead of Ward. And on the 13th of May, just another interesting quote from the archive. So Mick McCarthy saying that he had no unfinished business with Ireland and that his only regret was not qualifying for Euro 2020. He also doubted that any top clubs would be chasing him for his services. And of course, only a couple of years later, coming back into the Ireland position. I bet then... he turns around and goes, um, I've unfinished business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ironically like, enough, you got, were, you, were you going to say that and I cut you off, Nick? Have I stolen your thunder? No, no, that's 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 fine. That's okay. I don't like you said that. You made me very worried now. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. And now, now the sinister laugh. Sorry, sorry. I'm sorry for stealing your thunder, Nick. I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. So the, it's all right, David. Any, uh, it wouldn't be the first time, would it? Wouldn't be the first time. Well, I am the thunder master, but there you go. <laughs> the thunder bastard. I'm just a bastard, actually. Really, but. <laughs> so 20th of May, so Italian manager Antonio Conte is saying that Ireland have improved. And he said that, I like Shane Long, Seamus Coleman and John O'Shea, who are very, very good players. You cannot tell me I don't know the Irish team. And on, the, on May 23rd, just an interesting, uh, I suppose, the, the, the time um, of history that it was. So France hold a final security trial before the Euros, but it ends as failure. Ends and failures, authorities struggle to control crowds at the French Cup final. So again, yeah. Matt, you, you you mentioned at the at the playoff against Bosnia how the you know how the atmosphere had kind of changed um, after the, the Paris attacks, of course. And I suppose one of the big concerns was that the Euros were actually going to be in France. So it was just sa- sadly the the timing I of all of that. Remember actually the, this period because it was quite dicey over here as well, and um. The problem was in France. The problem that the French had was that I think in Paris alone you had like four police services. You had the transport police, the gendarme, and you had like the national police. I think you had another one as well, and they weren't communicating to each other. 
So that's why we're getting all these like attacks happening because they just they just didn't speak to each other, you know, the territorial nonsense that you get, you know, and that was an issue. That was a major concern in France and very disorganized with these sort of things anyway. I'm not saying England was much better as we saw at the Euro 2020 uh, final here. Um, but I just remember people were very worried about that. And when I uh, said I was going over, my, a lot of my family members had gone, please, please don't, please, please don't go over. So I'm going over. Like, I'm not going to let these bastards, um, you know, win. Like, you've got you've to get on with things like that. But I remember that was a very big concern for France because uh, they were a bit, to be fair, I mean, we know that the finals were fantastic anyway. Those were there, like, it was very, but they're not known for being the most organized um, with certain things like this, you know. Just putting that out there. I've yes. just defended France. Yeah, so, well, hopefully it's the only time you do, David. So, <laughs> 27th of May, <laughs> so Ireland play out a 1-1 draw with the Netherlands in a game. We were favourites for that won. game. Yeah, we should have won that because, of course, Holland, that, that was, was it there. Yeah, well, no, it was the first tournament they missed because then they missed the World Cup, wasn't it? So it was it was mm. a barely um, it was a du- yeah it was a du- Dutch team in crisis. So Shane Long giving us the lead, and then Luke de Jong equalising with five minutes to go, and Harry Arter having an excellent game. I just remember we played kind of that diamond formation, and Arter um, Arter was one of the best players on the pitch. I don't know what happened to him, and he was kind of one of the favourites to kind of make the squad. So yeah, a game that we we probably should have won, and then just a couple of days later, our last game. Before we we went off to the Euros, so a two one loss to Belarus in Turner's Cross in Cork. Um, my favorite player Stephen Ward scoring a consolation goal after Ireland went two nil down, and of course it was also Shea Given's last game. And the interesting thing about this lads, the the squad was named right after in the changing room, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, this was. I went to this. I went to the Holland game as well. Um, and again, just to kind of give you a little bit of insight into this, this is uh, I mentioned earlier. Um, you can bring the bring on the stick now. But Callum O'Dowda was called up for this to join up with the squad for the first time here uh, for that Holland game. And then he was That's brought right, down to yeah. Belarus as well, an ex, extra player. So there was kind of a little bit of a kind of like quiet hope perhaps that if someone got injured he could have been the 23rd man to be called up he was probably thinking that himself very young at the time of course but um yeah i, I went over to turner's cross and um yeah the game was absolutely terrible i mean they they weren't much cop to be honest uh who was the ladder alexander Hleb from arsenal was yeah, there, Hleb, an iconic yeah. player wasn't he so um he, he was pretty decent um but yeah it, it was a strange one turner's cross Great. I've never been there before, so that was a nice little uh, stadium ticked off on the list. Um, before their roof blew off in Australia. Yeah. But, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of... Um, I remember it was just obviously kind of summer before we were going off to the Euros, and it was the last chance to see the team. Um, quite a you know a different stadium as well, as I said. But, yeah, it, what always struck me, though, is after the game uh, that the squad was announced, and obviously um, the kind of... not kind of the shock really that he he what he did really with um Shea Given and David Ford and what always struck me was just how great David Ford was afterwards because he came out loads of kids hanging around for autographs and to have a chat with him or photos with him and he stood with everyone he must have had the most upsetting news ever in his career um I know he came to it very late but I was just amazed that that happened um very very classy guy yeah completely classy and and you've got to remember as well out of that uh that squad 
who didn't go. David McGoldrick didn't go. Um, yeah, yeah. Harry, Harry, Ar- I mean, Harry Arter claimed, I suppose, a few weeks later that he was fit enough to go. Yeah. And I mean, I mean there was the argument that he probably should have gone ahead of David Myler. But, a, but apart from that, I mean, like Rob Elliott probably would have gone instead of instead of Shea Given. Um, yeah. Had he not been injured, and ahead of David Ford, had he not been injured. Because David Ford, had he had he left Millwall at this stage, I don't think he was in great form regardless. And, yeah. and it was kind of a toss-up between Shea Given and, and Rob Elliott anyway. But then apart from that, like there wasn't many kind of high profile exclusions or anything like that. Even just to run through the squad. So the goalkeepers, Darren Randolph, Shea Given, Kieran Westwood, defenders, Seamus Coleman, Cyrus Christie, John O'Shea, Kieran Clark, Shane Duffy, Richard Dunn, Robbie Brady, and Stephen Ward. The midfielders, Glenn Whelan, James McCarthy, Jeff Hendrick, Wes Houlihan, James McLean, Aidan McGeady, Stephen Quinn, and David Myler. And then the forwards, Shane Long, John Walters, Daryl Murphy, and the captain, Robbie Keane. So they're they're, they're there wasn't, as I said, Ford was kind of the only um, main omission. And, and it wasn't even a thing that it, it was a quality player missing out. It was kind of similar to the, the Kevin Foley situation that they, they thought he should have gone. Well, no, it wasn't similar, was it? But it was this whole idea that, that he wasn't going to play. But maybe he was hard done by not to make the squad. I think, I think in hindsight, Dave McGoldrick, who I think it wasn't that the season Daryl Murphy scored a rake of goals and, and McGoldrick was kind of assisting a lot of them. So I, I think he might have felt hard done by him out of all of them. Yeah, I think it kind of came a bit too quick for him. I never, like, again, I think we'll, when we come on and cover uh, the kind of latter campaigns when he's more prominent in the island teams, I think it's, you know, it might be controversial to say, but there's a bit of a myth about David McGoldrick. We're shouting and screaming and crying that he's not there now, uh, like about a year ago. And yeah, he, he never scored a lot of goals for Ireland. He was that type of player um, up front and stuff. But uh, I mean, I'm, I know I'm saying that. And then in the context of this, Daryl Murphy hadn't scored at all for Ireland going going off to the Euros. So another notable one was uh, Darren Gibson because obviously he'd been in 2012 uh, at the Euros. Yeah. He missed out. What I would say, and I don't know, it sounds a little bit speaking out of school, but I don't really care. Um, I went home the next morning on the first flight from Cork to London and at the bar... I grabbed the coffee in the morning, you know, sensible head. Um, and Darren Gibson and Dave McGoldrick quite impressively put about three or four pints away before they got on their flight. And well, that was at in six the morning. Or seven in the morning. Yeah, so fair play. Mm. You know, if you're going to be disappointed with not going to the Euros, that's what I'd probably do as well. I think but the difference was I, I, I was I, I going. Think- I think if Darren Gibbs I think if Darren Gibson was going to the Euros, he still would have been in the bar at about six, 6 a.m. Yeah. To be fair. Might wanted to drive might, yeah. wanted to drive might wanted to drive the plane. Yeah, um, so so, of course, the last game before we went off to the Euro. So on the 7th of June, so Martin O'Neill finally committing to a contract extension. Haven't been very coy, as we mentioned already. And Dennis O'Brien was still involved in uh, in funding that. So that contract was to run to the end of the, the World Cup qualifiers. And, of course, as we mentioned already, on the 8th of June, Harry Arter saying that he could have played some part for Ireland at Euro 2016. Of course, David Myler and Stephen Quinn going ahead of him after he made a big impression in his first couple of caps. And on the 10th of June, David, you might like to talk through this one. So the FAI wiping 10 million from uh, their overall bank debt. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just just more um, <laughs> more integrity, um, more integrity. As, as ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this happens a lot, doesn't it? I mean, obviously you refinance something and it's just, I think, like another bank had taken over another bank's debt and all this kind of stuff going on. Um, so, yeah, they just managed to get another 10 million wiped from... Uh, the, the refi- from the refinancing package, but 
didn't really do much because of all the interest rates and everything. I don't think they've even touched. They've, they've hardly touched the loan, have they? They're, they're actually, I think there's still plans for the interest rates uh, and all that. But yeah, it's just, of course, John Delaney would champion this, wouldn't he? This is uh, one of his one of his big things um, at the upcoming AGM that you get a standing ovation for, for wiping Temley in office. And uh, that was about it, really. Yeah and, yeah, and just to kind of, I mean, the thing is we're going to cover a number of tournaments in, in our next series. So, again, another spoiler alert. But after we finish the, the manager series, we'll be moving on to a tournament series. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Euro 2016 is going to be one of them. So we don't want to we don't want to go into it in too much depth. But I suppose if we take it from the angle of Martin O'Neill during this tournament, I mean, the, the contrast uh, that we saw between O'Neill and, say, Giovanni Trapattoni in terms of the preparation, in terms of how the players are treated, uh, even like I mean, as everyone knows, if we go through the results, which which everyone knows, so one one draw with Sweden. Of course, we took the lead in the start of France. Wes Houlihan scoring on the forty eighth minute, and then Kieran Clark with the own goal on the seventy first minute. Three 0 loss to Belgium in what was a, a very poor game. Again, we might remark on some of those games after. And one uh, nil win against Italy, of course, one of the most famous results in Irish football history. Robbie Brady scoring with five minutes to go. And then, of course, the glorious failure that was the 2-1 loss to France and Lyon after Robbie Brady had given us a 1-0 lead. Anton Griezmann with two goals as we finished the game with 10 men. But overall, lads, a satisfying tournament. And as I said, already a bit of a contrast between Euro 2012 in terms of the preparation and in terms of how Martin O'Neill managed his team. Yeah, I think uh, this was definitely... I remember Football 365 at the time when I used to read that particular website. Um, they said that Ireland had... Um, uh, oh, Christ, what's the word I'm looking for? Not retribution, but they had... Um, rectified? Rec- not rectified. Oh, you know when you like... Redeemed? Redeemed, that's the word, sorry. There you go. Here to um, bail you out again, David. Yeah, here to bail me out, absolutely. Well, you are the teacher. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they had redeemed themselves from the shenanigans, from the absolute farce. That was 2012, Euro 2012, which it was a farce, really. And you, know, and you can hear that in the archives, by the way. Um, so we, we had redeemed ourselves. We had redeemed ourselves with the one-one draw against Sweden, quite frankly, where we were, we were quite good in the first half and then sort of let Sweden back in and probably should have won that game. And very satisfying. Belgium, we were, we were dross. Um, I remember, I won't go into it because I know we're going to... I actually watched that game at Wembley Stadium on my phone. I was working at... Uh, what was I working at? I think I was working at a concert. And I think England played Wales on the same day. We watched it on the big screen. I was watching this game on BBC iPlayer. And, of course, I was at the Italy game and against Italy's fourth-choice team. Um, <laughs> that's kind of pissed a lot of people off. But it was. Was it, it was, was it Ole Gunnar Solskjaer text Roy Keane after the game yeah. and said, oh, congratulations on beating the Italian C team or so, something along yeah. those lines? It's true, though. It is true. Look, they had nothing to play for. They were already through. Uh, we had everything to play for. And yet again... I think we qualified in third place. Look, we qualified for this tournament. Look, we exercised the ghost of Euro 2012, and that was very important, and I do not want to play that down. That was so important, because Euro 2012 was a fucking embarrassment. I don't care. I I would have rather we hadn't qualified than embarrassed ourselves on the world stage like we did that time, because we were an embarrassment. Well, 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 look at the contrast. I mean, the the first three games, we just, we we knelt down. We bent over and and, and took it from fucking three teams, didn't we? And then, at least in this, 
and, and and then at least in this in this campaign, the the Swedish match, um, we should have won that. The the Belgian yeah. match, at least at least there was a bit of grit, and we were well, very we, unlucky not to have well, a penalty. We bowed to Belgium a bit, I thought. Um, yeah, yeah well, we, we should have we should have a penalty, but it was a very different approach to the games, and, and yeah. there and there was very little respect shown to very high quality opposition. And I mean, on another day, as I said, you get that penalty against Belgium. And then we beat Italy. We probably should have beaten Sweden, and and we, you know, we were unlucky not to hold yeah. on against France. I mean, I mean it's 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 it's, mm. a, it's such a contrast in approaches. It, it's a contrast in approach, but you know, I, I'm sorry, I have to I have to douse us all with the ice cold water of realism and facts. Um, we qualify for a tournament that really third place got you a playoff. Never happened before, and for the first time ever in the Euros, um, we actually third place got you into the next round um it was against a team that had never that the business was done they were resting all the players because they were already through to the next round we have to be realistic about this nick beforehand the euros used to be eight teams two groups of four and only uh, the finals up until euro 96 and i think they made it um i think of 16 teams and then 24 eventually after that so you know we, we have to be realistic but yeah for the psyche was very good it was a bit of chicken soup for the soul, should we say? But um, and then France, we were kind of unlucky there because France had a lot more time to recover. But they sort of just—you you kind of felt it was coming because they just went through the gears, didn't they? And that was it. We were done. And Shane Duffy got sent off. But sorry, like, I yeah, it was satisfying, but it wasn't a great tournament. You know, it wasn't one of those you go, oh Jesus, like you know, like Euro '88 where we could have won the damn thing, and Italian '90 we could have won the thing as well. It was nothing like that. Nowhere near Plenty. that. Plenty of fond memories, though. Martin, you were you were there, so I mean, talk us through some of your your yeah. memories from, from actually being at the tournament. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually think it was an absolutely brilliant tournament. I mean, I understand completely, David, your points of how we qualified. Yeah, yeah, we had to we had to win. It was in our own hands to against you know a diminished Italy to, but we had to win. I know we left it really late that night, but we did. We kind of did take off the shackles and started playing late on, and we had a chance just before that we kind of squandered, and then we got the goal because we thought it had all gone. I think there was another chance that maybe Wes Hulham missed, I'm not sure. But yeah. um, but but overall, brilliant tournament, brilliant to go up. I went in and out for every game, and I know we'll cover this in more detail down the line. But yeah, I mean, I I, I travelled there with my four-year-old son, all my friends and stuff, in and out. Brilliant. It was like four amazing trips basically because I can remember each of them for different reasons um you know the opening one you're obviously really looking forward to the tournament I, I think we for some reason even thinking back to 2012 i think we covered it the last time that for some reason we thought we were going to be like there was massive false optimism that we were going to beat italy and spain and qualify out of that group with croatia yeah, whereas absolutely. here Whereas here, I actually thought oh, we're going to struggle here, but you know Belgium were really fancied to win it. They had a really, really good side as well. If you look back at that team, um, Sweden were going to be no mugs either. You know they were going to be tough as an opener. And when we went ahead, I mean that was just brilliant. That goal to see that live, um, the, even singing the anthem before it, which I'll obviously come on and talk about because you know it, it went viral. My son singing and stuff like that. So that was just an amazing experience for us, kind of family-wise. Memories we'll always look back on. Um, Bordeaux was a weird one. Great night the night before uh, with all the fans. That's where I really did meet a load of young Irish fans out and had no interest in going to the match. But it wasn't with any other agenda. They were just going, oh, you're so lucky going to the game. There's many tickets. They weren't actually bothered. They said, oh, we're going to look at it. We're going to watch it in the square. It's on the screen. We're just happy to hear and be part of it, which was brilliant. Um, and then the Italy one was just, it is, 
yeah, it's up there as one of the top five games I've been to in my life. So um, just for the occasion and, and the goal at that moment, meaning that we qualified to for, for the next round to then play the hosts. I mean, it's always brilliant when you play the hosts nation at a tournament. And again, I, I, when we talk about this in, in more detail going forward, um, there's a moment in that game where we won nil up and Daryl Murphy has a chance and it could have been two. And yeah, then yeah, that was right. going to be a big thing for um, the French. You know, they did they did kind of get us down. It was, you know, I'm looking at even the result, 58 James, minutes, 61. James, Mc, James McLean as well should have buried one. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So we, we we did have a chance. And again, just just I think it it was in France. I know it's no excuse. I just remember being so hot in the stadium and how the, the, the players, players were playing in that. You know, it was just ridiculous temperatures and stuff. Um I wasn't there in 94 at the World Cup, you know, a giant stadium where, you know, the water breaks and things were happening and the, the outrage about players' safety and stuff. But I, I was amazed here that in France they didn't do more of that because it was just incredibly hot temperatures to be playing football in. And, and they did really, really well. I when, when we talk about it's a great detail I for the, for the game in Italy. I was there. I got absolutely bollocksed. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> shit-faced. Um, uh, I kind of remember vaguely Kenny McCoy, sorry, Ken, Ken McCoy and his brother Carl give me my ticket outside the ground and how I got into that ground. I do not know. I was <laughs> fucked. And I actually have video of me recording with commentary of me outside the ground with, with my pints and I'll probably sh- <laughs> it's locked away in a vault. <laughs> <laughs> And I might actually share. I might actually upload it at some stage. If I get enough call for it, people want to see it. If you're listening to this, you you know, let me know if do, you want to see it. Do you know what all the you know what all the YouTubers do and just say, oh, if we get you know five million comments, uh, get five. Do David it, do it. will. David will open Brandon. the vault. David will open the vault and share his nudes. <laughs> I beg your pardon. Um, that's that's for another rad podcast, too, Nick. Um, what Sorry, was the yeah, gotcha. <laughs> what was your one's name? Oh Jesus, uh, the pop star that said, "Oh, oh we get a hundred thousand likes or retweets. I'll release some new content." And she got like five thousand. Oh no, my account was hacked. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, what was her name? She was like born in Yugoslavia. Oh fucking hell! Are you, not Ariana Grande. Oh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Don't do a, not not do a lipo. She's Albanian, isn't she? No, 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 no. Like she's like UK um based. Um yeah. oh, never mind. But anyway, I was one of those pop stars. But uh Back to yeah, the football. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, back to the football. Look, I mean, yeah, I and I'll move on from it. Look, we expelled the ghost of twenty twelve, which is which was an embarrassment. This was much better. Um I kind of at the time kinda of, sort of got caught up with the whole social media aspect of it with the Irish fans. Um I do think it got a bit much after that. And I know that sounds very rich coming from somebody who runs a social media page. Uh but I did think it got a bit much with the like our father, art in heaven stuff nonsense with the the nun and all this kind of stuff. Like fuck yeah. off. Yeah, it's a little bit cringe to to, to an extent. But 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 uh, but but created a good atmosphere. Um all the same. So the thing about twenty sixteen guys, and I think you might agree with me on this, apart from the tournament itself, we had a very, very strong finish to the to the year. So of course we 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 come back from the Euros and we start the, the 2018 qualifying campaign. As we said, we're going to talk about the Euro 2016 campaign at, at, a, at a lot more length. And just before we exited the competition, uh, Roy Keane, uh, well, sorry, just after we exited the, the competition, Roy Keane was the favourite to replace Steve Bruce at Hull City. 
And another thing, lads, that, that whole city team had so many Irish lads that, that that actually went to the Euros and they'd just been relegated, hadn't they? You know, mm-hmm. like David Myler, Robbie Brady, Stephen Quinn. There was someone else. Was Shane Long with, with Hull at that stage? Alex I think he Bruce. Was. Yeah, Alex Bruce. Yeah, Alex Bruce. I think, yeah, Long Long was there. That was his kind of... Oh, no, he was with Southampton at this stage. But, yeah, it was it was interesting how many of them were actually relegated. Paul McShane was another. Of course, he didn't go to, to the Euros. And, and Shea Given, of course, announcing retirement uh, number two from international football. Now, 30th of July, this is where the, the off-the-field drama and some of the unnecessary nonsense happens. Do you want to talk us through that, David? I love that he always leads this to me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just it's the whole AGM thing we mentioned earlier on. Uh, he got a standing ovation for the whole, oh, I took, I got 10 million off the, the refinancing thing. And refused He's to Mr. Delaney, Mr. Delaney, by the way. Mr. Delaney, uh, yeah, he just refused to answer questions at the AGM. Um, I think... It was in the middle of the 10-year run, wasn't it, where Paul Cook, was it, who would take over as interim uh, CEO? Um, That's right, yeah. We'll ask the last question. Not this one, but like it was several years. It was about a 10-year run. And yet again, you have an AGM. It's like something out of Bond, you know. We're, I'm on a bit of a Bond, James Bond run at the moment. And it kind of reminded me of that. You know, you go and you have like the pictures and everything's great. Everything's fantastic. Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. You know, and we sort of just paint over all the cracks. Uh, speaking of which, obviously, he did have the 50th birthday, the Bond-themed one. Um, when we got that idea from? But, yeah, he, it's just, just more nonsense again, you know. And yeah, just autocratic, autocratic nonsense from John Delaney that, uh, yeah. obviously, was still very much rife in 2016. And especially and, after a good Euros, what was the good Euros then? You know, that, that force field gets a little bit thicker, doesn't it? Yeah, and speaking of John Delaney, our first game after the Euros was, of course, the John Delaney Derby. So Ireland taking on Oman in Robbie Keane's last ever game. I, I just started a new job, lads, and I was absolutely knackered. And I remember Breen was like, ah, just come, come to the game. It's the last time you'll see Robbie Keane probably play a football match, um, never mind an Ireland match. And I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know. And then I, went, I remember going and thinking, Jesus if he doesn't score, it's gonna be it's gonna be a serious letdown. And you know, Robbie Brady, I think, opening the scoring with a free kick, from what I remember. And then Robbie Keane, of course, getting his goal on the thirtieth minute. And and I always found this so strange in, in the Martin O'Neill era. And and Robbie Keane was kind of the first. John Walters, of course, was getting a brace, and we probably should have won about six or seven nil. I think you know came Mr. Sitter, and there, there was a few other bits and pieces, but. A trend in the Martin O'Neill era was that he would kind of have these, um, you know, these not testimonials, but kind of retirement matches. And he'd play lads for maybe half an hour and take them off. I never understood that. He did the same with John O'Shea a couple of years later. And he did the same with Glenn Whelan, who, who of course, actually hadn't retired. So it was... And came back. It, it, yeah, it came back, of course. Never never, never announced his retirement, but it was, it was unusual. Of course, a, a very fitting... Um, very fitting tribute to Robbie Keane, who, of course, is one of the, the top-scoring um, internationals of all time, never mind Irish internationals, but but international goal scorers of all time. But I always found that really unusual how we just sold the players off before before half-time. And um, just a couple of days later, of course, Jeff Hendrick, so on his form from Euro 2016, moving to Burnley from Derby. And speaking of Jeff Hendrick, our first game in the 2018 World Cup campaign against Serbia he opened the scoring in a 2-2 draw of course Serbia who we only played recently 
in the Euro or in the 2022 World Cup um, qualifiers, going 2 1 up, and then Daryl Murphy scoring his first international goal at the age of 54. So, <laughs> so I mean, yeah. So it, 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 I was going to say, that. you yeah. have to correct that. Someone's <laughs> listening to that and go, <laughs> Daryl Murphy. What age would he have been there? 33? He was thirty-three. He was thirty-three. Yeah, 30, 33. Yeah, 30, yeah, 30, yeah, 30, yeah, 30, yeah, 30, yeah, thirty-three. First, <laughs> I, I like Daryl Murphy. I mean, he 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 had a great goal scoring record for for Ipswich, hadn't he? But that game, lads. I mean, really bad conditions. I um I was actually. I was at that ground, the the ground in Belgrade, a few years previous for a friendly, um, and it's more or less underground. The the Red Star Belgrade Stadium, and the pitch was awful. Like the pitch was really bad that night. But wasn't there some kind of dispute between the the Serbian FA and the Serbian fans because there yeah. was there was no one at the game. Like there was no one at the game, and, and, and it was one of those. It was one of those games we probably should have won because I, I just remember like what was the attendance? Seven thousand. I'm just seeing there. So seven thousand was the mm-hmm. attendance. But it was one of those games where I just remember the Serbians were diving a lot and you could actually hear them. Like you could hear them shouting and screaming. And I think Ronnie Wheeler must have been on, on commentary or possibly Jim Beglin, whoever it was. They were saying, oh, well, all you have to do is shout and scream and you get a free kick. It's a game we should have won, lads, really, wasn't it? Yeah, we. Um, I remember watching them. I was very disappointed. I mean, you look at it and you go, oh, 2-2. That, that, that's a great result. It uh, would be, but this is this was a very, very unhappy Serbian team. Uh, very poisonous atmosphere for the Serbian side. We should have gone in there and uh, done a lot better. This we were starting to come down a little bit um, from the... Yeah, we'd finish it. We'd finish the year positively. We're going to go through. But this is the start of the decline. And I know this sounds mad. We got 2-2 draw, but the performance just wasn't very good. And we were lucky in the end to get a goal um, through Darren Murphy. But we should have won this. They were there for the taking. We got an early goal. I think we started very brightly, and then we just allowed Serbia to get back into it. And A little bit like the, the recent match against Serbia in Belgrade. Yeah. Except yeah. we lost. <laughs> yeah, and obviously... This was uh, this, you know, a lot of these players that were playing this particular match were actually playing in the Serbia game, the recent one. But you know, they were a lot younger and quote unquote in their peak, shall we say, and should have, you know, and have just come from a major tournament, so confidence should be high. Um, I think that was, I think we were just kind of riding our luck a little bit now at this rate. Um, during this, I know this sounds mad, but um, yeah, I think it was another one. We we should have. There was a lot of criticism I remember after this game because thinking this this isn't this is a good Serbia team on paper, but they are in absolute disarray. We should be going there and going for it, and we scrape through with a two-two draw, which isn't the which isn't bad, but not as good as it looks. If that makes sense. Yeah, and of course, only a couple of days later, Martin O'Neill, after kind of verbally agreeing a new contract with the FBI, finally signing that contract. Um, to get to the the end of the Euro 2012 or the Jesus the World Cup 2018 campaign, saying that he was, um, saying that it was Ireland, uh, him and Roy Keane were given Ireland their best chance to get to a World Cup, and that he wanted to be around to do it. So again, a, a lot of why, a lot of high praise for himself. Why does he have to himself. say that though? Why does he have to say that? You know, yeah. there, there was there was nobody, there was nobody at the time, Nick, saying, oh, I don't, you know, well maybe we should get rid of Martin O'Neill now. It's time. No, nobody was saying that. Okay, I'll tell you why he said that. This is on the back of criticism over the Serbia match. And this is now Martin O'Neill, where he's uber sensitive. And it's a case of, how dare you? I'm Martin O'Neill. I won. I'm, you know, I've come over here. I I won uh, 
cups with Leicester as a manager. Obviously, won two European cups with Nottingham Forest as a player, but as a manager, I was a Villa manager. I was this. I was that. And this this is the problem now. You see, this is the rock star manager and rock star wages, and that's why he's saying that. No, none of the fans are calling for him. In fact, the FAI were for. The criticism was why? Well, why isn't he signing it? Things are going well. Why just just sign it, get it done, you know, get the contract, get the contract signed. And he was him in an hour, and then he was, you know, he was he was listening to interest, and you know, there was, he was always linked to somebody, with somebody else, which would continue on through his Ireland career. And I just that just annoyed me. Oh, we're 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 the best chance. Well, yeah, okay. No one's asking. No one's saying you're not. Just shut up, sign the contract, and get on with the job. Why are you saying this? Why, you know, why are you, you know, it just smacks of, I put myself in the shop window, just in case, you know, it just very arrogant approach to, to, to the job, stepping stone, really, you just, you always felt that with, with Martin O'Neill, that the Ireland job, and I don't care what he says, the Ireland job always felt like a stepping stone for him, and Roy Keane, by the way, uh, for something a bit better, Roy Keane wanted a full-time management job uh, with a club, and he never showed up about that. And Martin O'Neill, yet again, you just felt that if, if a really top offer came in from him, he was, he was gone. He, you never mm-hmm. felt that commitment with the Ireland job. Once things were going okay, he didn't embrace it, I don't think, you know, uh, like Mick did or Jack. Jack certainly embraced it. He got all the, the nixers from it, didn't he? And, you know, he was on, his face was on everything. And he made a fortune. For, fair play to him. You know, fair play to him. But you never just felt the same thing with Martin O'Neill, even though he was born on the island of Ireland anyway. But... Yeah, he, he his heart was very much in England. I thought. Well, he was always he was always getting links with different moves, wasn't he? And yeah. an interesting thing that kind of comes up. So two kind of players being mentioned here at the early stages of the 2018 campaign, and that kind of carried on for the next couple of years or so on. So Harry Arter and and Scott Hogan. So Harry Arter, of course, had been capped by Ireland, but not in a competitive match. And Scott Hogan was kind of a, a goal machine for Brentford at the time, wasn't he? He he was kind of being. Uh, you know, compared to Jamie Vardy, and mm. the two of them weren't getting included in squads. Now, I think Harry Arter kind of withdrawn for, for personal reasons on a, on a couple of occasions, and Scott Hogan, I believe, had a really bad injury, and he was kind of using the international window to, to recover and so on, but but those are those are a pair that kind of dominated um, a lot of squad announcements for the, the coming months, and I think it was just um, ironic that neither of them actually ended up uh, really doing much in an Irish shirt after us kind of kicking and screaming about them 18 for so caps. Long. 18 caps for Harry Arter. Mm. That's all he has to, to date, 18 caps. And I don't see him, and he shouldn't really be adding to those 18. But I can't see he's going to add to those 18 caps. But 18 caps, five years, he's played 18 times for Ireland. That tells you everything you need to know about him. Scott Hogan really struggling as well. <laughs> so 6th six, six of October. So playing our good friends Georgia for the oh, 75th time in, in 10 years. So a 1-0 victory. Seamus Coleman scoring what is still his only international goal in that 1-0 victory on the 56th minute. Yeah, so again, kind of aiding our decent start to that campaign. And just a couple of days later, Ireland going away to Moldova and winning 3-1 after Moldova had taken the lead. Shane Long and the James McLean brace extended our lead at the top of the table. We weren't, these weren't great performances. Um, the Georgia game, we were dreadful. And Seamus Coleman's goal was je- was literally Seamus Coleman just saying, Walking the ball into the goal. It. 
gone, mm. yeah, fuck this. I've had enough of this and got the ball and did what that's why he became captain, I think. I don't know I don't think he was captain at this time. It was just he was about to become captain or he'd just been made captain. Uh, there was nothing clear uh, indicated in the notes. I think John O'Shea is still in the squad and I think he's still the captain around this time, still getting picked. And he just went, I've had enough of this, bang, and showed what a great leader Seamus Coleman. The fact that it's only Arnold goal, um, actually, yeah, now, now you mention it, but I, that's no, mad I think, when you think about it. Was he, I thought he was captain. I thought he was he made captain was, after the Euros. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he was made he captain. He was made captain, yeah. yeah. Um, and this is why. This is why. But we were yeah, terrible. This, this was an awful game. And um, I do remember it because uh, the George game was the one where before the game, we got presented with the uh, UEFA award for supporters uh, from from 2016, which was brilliant. Um, a great honour for myself because I actually collected that at the side of the pitch. Um, Where's it with now, with... It's in uh, Abbottstown, actually, in uh, their <laughs> last. Yeah, it is their little <laughs> glass. Yeah, it's in their glass cabinet there, and I, I brought my son King. Well, my son actually collected it with some other kids who were kind of um, uh, who were you know at the Euros and stuff. Uh, do you remember the little baby on the shoulders with the headphone things, the noise yeah, cancellation? Yeah. That little baby was there as well with his dad. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a few of us all all pitch side, but we got that award then. That was brilliant. Um, absolutely great night from that perspective down at the pitch side and uh but yeah the award is actually in Abbottstown behind a little glass cabinet for no one really to see and uh I was there. collecting dust I was there a while ago and with with Kean and Kean said to me oh that's my award in there and I went yeah well it's not really but yeah that's what it's doing in there but the <laughs> Hello, Uncle John. yeah exactly um no but yeah I remember that absolutely awful um performance that night and Coleman did exactly what you what you said there he just shoved and pushed himself through and he went right to the byline didn't he and it cut in and then he just kind of kept running towards the goal and into the net it was ridiculous it's like a, a FIFA kind of goal uh, yeah. like a like a goal where you just do that it's and like try a, and walk it like in a, like a glitch wasn't it and yeah of course yeah, and of course of course after that Moldova match the Irish Times calling Martin O'Neill a lucky manager so just to kind of paint a picture of the table at the time so Serbia on top with seven points, Ireland joined top with seven points as well. Wales and Austria just below them. So Wales on five points and Austria in four points. So on the 13th of October, we see our first little tiff, really, wasn't it? Between <laughs> Martin O'Neill and Ronald Koeman. Of course, there have been a little bit of drama between uh, Roberto Martinez, the ex-Everton manager, regarding some of his players, including James McCarthy and Seamus Coleman. So Everton manager... Ronald Koeman accusing Martin O'Neill of killing James McCarthy by overloading him, by making him play 90 minutes and 80 minutes for Ireland so soon after he had surgery. I think it wasn't on, on, a, on a hamstring injury. And again, yeah. uh, ju- just to kind of remark on this as well, so James McCarthy was injured um, after after the Moldova game and didn't play again until last year. So I think it was August 2020 against Bulgaria, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This was this was obviously interesting. Um, now you kind of look at this and you think uh, O'Neill and uh, Ronald Koeman. Ronald Koeman was a very arrogant man. Um, he is. He was a great player. He, I mean, well, he's, well, he's, wor- he's working wonders with uh, you know burning Barcelona to the ground. He is. Um, although to be fair, <laughs> I think I think he's just fanned the flames there. I think they were already. Um, I think the field had already important. The match had been lit, but yeah, he's definitely fanning them over there at the moment. Um, I'm not, I'm not overly sorry for Barcelona either, more than just the club, my arse. But anyway, 
And um, yeah, I think, um, you know, he's a very arrogant man, uh, Ronald Koeman, um, on a football pitch. He had a bit of a right to be as well. That's just his nature. And of course, most arrogant people do not accept responsibility. They blame everyone else. Um, and also then you have Martin Neal. I wouldn't say arrogant, but testy, should we say. Very... Um, yeah, very, very, very sensitive. Doesn't, as we've said, doesn't like criticism, and especially he's getting a bit of it now with the Irish media, who he thinks should be, you know, bowing to him at this rate because he got us two euros, um, albeit through very uh, soft circumstances. But anyway, and you kind of look at it and go, Cummins arrogant. I doubt Martin O'Neill is of the new school of football. And the sports science side of it and thinking no you know he's a young chap he's 25 of course when i was playing in my day and brian clough was my manager you know i had four broken legs but i still went out and played you know it's that sort of fucking attitude that you get and maybe that sports science part of it wasn't too great but then maybe it was a case of everton um not really managing their player quite well and the player perhaps because i think there it was hinted uh, it's not quite in these notes, but it was hinted that uh, I think McCarthy was sort of insisting on playing for Ireland. So fair play to M- McCarthy there. And I want to make that very clear there because yeah. I've been, and, I've been and, a huge and a guy, and, and a guy, th- this is the thing, and I know I'm going way off topic here, but the amount of abuse I've seen James McCarthy getting in the last few weeks since he signed for Celtic, because he's actually getting a bit of game time. And I know we're kind of moving into the current when, we, when maybe we shouldn't be, but he's getting so much abuse for how, and to be honest, he hasn't played bad either. I've watched nearly. I've watched. I've watched a few Celtic matches. And he hasn't played bad, but the amount of abuse he's getting, even towards the end of last season, playing for Crystal Palace, where again he did not play bad. People didn't even see him playing. They were criticising him. This guy was horribly, verbally, viciously abused as a teenager in various grounds around Scotland. As a six, like fifteen, I think he was playing first team football. Mm. Fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, getting horrible abuse and um, playing in the SPL, and just got yeah. on with it. And in recent years. Um, this whole this whole idea with him, you know, being out through injuries and being criticised for injuries. But I mean, he he played through the pain for Ireland, and and he's one of these guys that gets lambasted and gets laughed at when we when we talk about him coming back into the Ireland fall. So I think I think it's just important to put that that kind of context into it. <laughs> Steady on, so, Nick. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So 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 ending the year uh, with our last picture. Like Martin or Roy Keane there. Jesus. <laughs> so one nil a one nil victory against Austria. Of course, James McLean scoring in that famous victory in Vienna. So again, another um another one nil victory against a, a fairly decent side. I mean, if you look at that. If you look at that campaign, or if, if you look at that year, lads, so 2016, 1-0 win against Austria. That wasn't a bad Austrian team. Of course, David Alaba and Marco Ranautovic. So a, a, a fairly solid side. A 1-0 victory against Switzerland at the very start of the year. And sandwich in between that, of course, a 1-0 win against um, against Italy at the Euros. So it, in terms of the results against the bigger sides, with the exception of Belgium, of course, and the exception of the loss against France, which we were unlucky not to win. It was it was a fairly successful win, wasn't it? And again, it considered one of our best away results since kind of the Euro '88 qualifiers against Scotland, the one 0 win um, in, in in Glasgow. Yeah. So you know we we didn't we didn't get many away victories against some of the bigger teams. And I know Austria aren't you know a, a France or a, or a Germany or whatever, but 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 they were it was the type of teams like that that your Austria's your Switzerland's those kind of teams that we just didn't get results against away from home. Yeah. For a long, long time. One of Neil's strengths, right? We know his weakness, organization, tactics, training. That's not Martin O'Neill's strength. 
Um, he likes to throw spanners into his own works, as we'll discuss in the next episode with a particular fullback, shall we say. Um, but one of his redeeming qualities is getting big results against the big teams. He, he And one-off games. You know, he looks at every game as a one-off match. And that's why I think he won like two cup game, two cup trophies with uh, Leicester. Um, sorry, two cups, two cup trophies, two cups with, with Leicester, uh, League Cup, basically. And he's very good at doing that. And this is another case of this. If I remember, like, you know, Austria aren't a great, they weren't a great side. They had a couple of decent players. They were very a... disjointed, weren't they? They were very yeah. disjointed at the time. They, they, were, they were in fourth when we played them and they would remain in fourth after this a good six points behind us but they were having a, a bad time and we went in there and we got the business done and I think we could have been 2-0 up actually we had the ball in the net the second time I watched this in London and on the telly and I was absolutely fucked um, <laughs> which is a redeeming thing a recurring <laughs> theme but it was actually my uh, grandmother's anniversary so that's also white um, but yeah and this is a very good result. That was actually a cracking result. Performance was was okay. Um, we just did a usual thing, like just ten men behind the ball, ten men behind the ball, and then just sort of hit on the counter. Uh, and James McLean scored a gorgeous goal. If I remember correctly, did Wes Hulahan played an absolute worldly of a ball? Yeah, yeah. David Myler, we I like again a guy that I don't give a huge amount of airtime or credit to, but but was excellent in that match, playing right back, wasn't he? Of course, he's a midfielder. Yeah, he came on really early in this. Uh, came on around like very early for Glenn Whelan got injured, and um, yeah, he put in a brilliant shift. I mean, he's not shy in letting people know about it, but um, he did. <laughs> I remember he, he it was a brilliant night. Yeah, I was there that night, and it, and you know, even the last campaign, um, the, the last campaign we covered in the qualification for the Euro twenty sixteen, I said how Mine O'Neill did have teams set up. We got very very lucky. We never gave up. We all scored late goals and, and and you know if you look back at that whole kind of period we always you know we had some key results a little bit of luck i suppose last minute equalizers you know the germany one nil that kind of continued on though you know that, like the football was awful let's be honest it was really really poor like they weren't the, the teams we were expected to beat in the group we struggled to beat them like we might have scored a few goals against them i know that we would We'd probably take that now where we are in the situation at the moment under Stephen Kenny with just results not happening. Um, although we are playing better football. But um, I remember this one. Oh, yeah, we needed to win over there and it was absolutely freezing. It was in November, you know, Christmas markets are out. Absolutely brilliant trip, like the square there in Vienna. Everyone, great numbers of Irish fans went. Um, absolutely brilliant trip, absolutely freezing. I did a Bear grills on it. Um, in, in the sense that I helped... Drank your own piss, did you? No, I didn't. It's a little bit like that. Uh, oh, some no. people some people with me were cold, and there, oh, wasn't, no. there wasn't a lot of toilets, and um, some people held a cup, let's just say, to war- which was warmer fluid than it probably should have been in a way, but that's what they decided they would do. <laughs> oh, they held the cup that had been used. So um, I won't name drop anybody, but if Patrick Keenan's listening... <laughs> oh no, what, he held the cup to keep his hands warm yeah which was full of piss oh wow <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite clever I think uh, yeah I, I don't think I, I mean I, I don't think I would hold it was my I mean I'll be honest it was my piss he was holding it but he was very cold things got weird <laughs> yeah but no, a great trip and, and a good little spot for a night out as well Vienna we ended up in some uh 
good establishments. Let's just say. Yeah, um, I'm not going. I'm fucking not going on any way to secure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jesus. So, so after that game, lads. So Ireland ending 2016 in 23rd place in the world rankings, and on top of that, on top of the World Cup qualification group. So Ireland on 10 points, Serbia on eight points, Wales on six points, and Austria on four points. And Martin O'Neill saying that Ireland are a million miles away from qualification. How right was he? <laughs> I think, um, you know, Martin touched on it there with Stephen Kenny and we're, we're saying, you know, we're playing better football. There's an identity with how Stephen Kenny wants to play as Ireland manager. There's an identity there. Uh, and we're trying to build towards that. With Martin Neal, it wasn't, that wasn't really an identity, was it? It just always seemed to him, what's, what throws enough shit at the wall and see what sticks? And I think that got more and more evident as his time went on. I think that became a bit more exposed. And that's when people started asking more questions. Because, you know, Martin O'Neill did have, did carry a lot of weight. He was a big name in English football. He, and he was at one time. He was definitely one of the most coveted managers mm. in the game. So he was a big name. Like, I'm absolutely not going to dispute that whatsoever. Um, and I think people are in awe of a big name. You know, oh, God. Same happened with Trapattoni at first. But then as time goes on and then we start to see things happen and cracks appear. Now, people say, Dave, how, how, how can you say cracks appear? Now, obviously, we know and we've peaked at the end of this particular book. We know how it ends. But looking back and looking at the performances, you kind of go, well, you know, Seamus Coleman had to run the ball in the net, literally had to do a forest gump at it boom, and just run through the goal. <laughs> he'd, probably he'd probably still be running if there wasn't a net there. Like he just got the ball back in the net, bang, ran the ball in, into it. And then performance in Moldova, it wasn't great. And you just felt there wasn't a really a great influx of players coming in at this stage either. So you just kind of had the same players who were just getting older. And it was getting a little bit stale. And that was, you know, and I just thought, okay, we seem to be in good nick. But you just kind of felt that it wasn't going to last or it wouldn't be as... Uh, Smooth, shall we say? Yeah, it's going to be true that lead, it, didn't it? That, that yeah. lead at the top of the group. Yeah, it did, and, and I think Woodrow O'Neill, he, he he was just an odd character. Like I said, he was a big name, but it was like he was trying to step out of the shadow or just be so like Brian Clough, just say things that made yeah. absolutely no sense to people, and it was just to kind of, you know, just just the 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 maddest kind of stuff. And yet, if anyone tried to hold him to account for that, he had this kind of arrogance on him in him that he would. You know, it was like, I'm above this, I'm above Ireland, and I can walk away tomorrow and I'll have a top job somewhere. Now, the actual fact of it is, lot of not, not a lot of great big clubs were coming calling for him anymore, but he just had that mentality of, of that's how he came across with treating the Ireland job and treating the players and stuff. And we see that now in the next campaign, is where he, you know, how he, he oh, we don't have the players. That started to be the kind of mantra and the kind of philosophy of him saying that. And then when the pressure came, well, you know, when the bad results came and he wasn't getting lucky anymore... He, he he didn't have an answer for it, and he was getting criticism, and he was taking it even more and more to heart. Then, oh yeah, I I cannot wait for the next one. <laughs> this is gonna be so much fun. Yeah. So we we will be back next week with Martin O'Neill Part Three, where things get very rosy. Don't <laughs> so, as always, make sure that you subscribe to us on Spotify on apple Podcasts and on google Podcasts, and of course we're actually available on a lot of the the lesser known podcast uh platforms so feel free to subscribe to us it does it does help us and of course 
like and follow our various social media platforms. So, of course, landsharmroad.ie and the Green Machine podcast. So, until next week, uh, when we come back with Martin O'Neill part, part three, take care, God bless, and come on, you boys in green. <laughs>